everyone. This is. <laughs> Sabrina, are you okay? <laughs> yeah. Wh- why? Did you not say anything after I said? I did. I said hello. Oh my gosh. Nothing came through. You just were sitting there smiling. <laughs> I quickly became possessed when we started (laughs) recording, and our ghost came into me. (laughs) This is two girls, one ghost. Two girls, one ghost. I have things to tell you. Tell me. I just went to go see Hereditary. Oh, God, I want to see it so bad. My brother even texted me and said, have you seen this yet? Because you should. It is frightening. I... It's one of those movies where, like, while you're watching it, you're terrified, and then you go home, and you're like, yeah, no, I'll be fine. And then, so the I went to see it on Wednesday night, and Wednesday night I was like, I'm fine, I'm fine. But yesterday, last night, when I was doing research for the podcast, I could not be alone in any part of the house or apartment. I don't have a house, but <laughs> I like any had part like, of the two rooms. <laughs> <laughs> I like sprint between rooms, like I felt like a little child because I felt like something would be like hiding on my ceiling. Who did you go with? Uh, just with Nick. Oh. I. I can't go because I know zero people who like <laughs> scary movies. Like here in in Boston, everyone that I'm like, oh, do you want to go see a scary movie? Everyone's like, no. You so, should go hit up Liz Sauer. I know. <laughs> <laughs> go down to Wellesley. Go to all yeah. those coffee shops and yoga spots she always talks about. Yes. And then go see Hereditary. Yeah, I should. Um, I heard that, well, my brother said that it leaves you with a lot of questions at the end yes i mean so what i like to do nick and i like to like spend hours talking about a movie and there's just a lot of there's a lot of way a lot of ways to interpret it and it's interesting you can take it very literally or you can go deep and like try to understand it psychologically Mm -hmm. i've got to see this everyone keeps talking about it and i can't even really understand what happens from the trailer because it's so obscure yeah well, I never watched the trailer, which I actually kind of like because I went in and I was like, I don't know how scared I'm going to be. I don't know what I'm getting myself into. <laughs> have you ever seen? Have you seen the witch? Yes. Okay, so it had the witch vibes mixed with the, the Babadook. Okay. Uh, okay. It's good. I'm a fan of both of those movies. I will say I didn't get overly scared from Babadook, but when I like watching it, I didn't get scared. But away from the movie. When I hear someone say Babadook, I get chills. I think it's just, it's a mix of the long shots of like, you feel like you're kind of watching from the outside that the witch had. Yes. As if you're watching from a microscope. And then I'd say it's similar to Babadook in like a psychological sense. Okay. Because I did really like, in The Witch, I did like, I did like that we felt like we were in it and watching Mm -hmm. real time and that they did have those real long shots. So you're like, holy crap and you're holding your breath but i think the part that people didn't like about the witch was the end with black what's his name black billy or whatever his yeah name is. the goat <laughs> everyone go see all the movies and make your own judgments and then we can discuss on our facebook page it's like the movie it follows during it i was like this is weird this is a weird movie and now four years later five seven i don't know how long was it three two <laughs> However many years later, I'm still bringing it up every episode. Every episode? about it constantly. So. Yeah. Those are the movies I like. It's like in the moment you're like, ah, this is fine. But you don't realize that it's like getting into your brain and planting itself there and fucking you up for life. Like a demon. Yes. Oh, maybe I'm just possessed. (laughs) After watching the movie, Nick looked at me and was like, this is why I'm worried about your podcast. Oh, no. Now I really need to see the movie. (laughs) 
<laughs> but no, I I was I wasn't worried about it. Nick is just paranoid that we one day will come home possessed and he won't know who I am. That's not going to happen. It doesn't happen that quick. There's right. a progression and I think seeing as we talk almost every day that I would catch on to you acting kind of off. <laughs> I'm going to start making fan fiction of our podcast about us and writing it. And that You're going to write it? Third... You're going to write yeah, our I'll... own fan fiction? But it will be like a third segment of our podcast where I do storytelling and it's fictionalized fan fiction of our lives <laughs> where it's actually the whole time we were possessed or we were ghosts and never actually existed. And you play all of the parts. You do all the different voices. Yeah. Yeah. I would listen to that. All right. I'm kidding. I don't have time for that. <laughs> I haven't really had anything ghostly happen. That's good. But I'm going to my parents' house this weekend for for Father's Day. So we'll see if I come back with any stories. And I wonder if you'll come back with any stories in a few weeks after you go to Paris. Paris. I know. Well, I'm going to go to the catacombs. We're also going to Normandy. So there's me. I mean, there's a lot of history there. So I want to go. Who knows? Should I pack you in my suitcase? Yes. You're going to have to get one of those oversized carry-ons, though. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You know, I can't help it. If you give me an opening, I have to say it. Can you be my instead of an animal support or get a support uh, therapy? What's it called? I'm an emotional support human. Yeah, I'm going to be like, um, she'll sit on my lap, but she's my emotional support. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Did you see someone had an emotional support duck on the plane? No way. He was wearing little green duck booties and a diaper. Oh, I can't. That is so cute. I forget his name, but it was something really cute. It was like Commander McQuackatins or something like that. (gasps) Oh adorable. my gosh. He was a punny name. Of, That's amazing. There are photos of him looking out the window, like looking out onto the clouds. <laughs> oh, so just oh, that's so cute. It is. I love that. Before we get into our stories, I have to tell you there's this museum in Burbank called the Bearded Lady Museum or the Mystic Museum, which we follow on Instagram. And I went last night and it did it is the coolest place. Where where in Los Angeles is it? What neighborhood? It's in Burbank on Magnolia, so like a few blocks down from Porto's Bakery. Oh, and Porto's. I know. It was so cool. It's just a shop full of antiques and like old photographs. And they had like a lot of old medical supplies with like the razor blades with them. It was really interesting. I took so many photos. So it's like an antique shop and then they also sell their own merchandise and they sell sage and oils and like a ton of different books. But then God, they also how have did I never I I had lived in Burbank twice I, yeah. in my tenure out in Los Angeles. How did I never know about this place? Well, I didn't either, to be fair, until I saw them on Instagram. Sounds so cool. Well, I'll post pictures that I took because I took a lot of pictures. I went with my coworker, Anne, and they have a museum. And right now, like, the exhibit was called The Tales from the Crypt, so based on the show. But they also have, like, a ton of events. Like, they do the Shining events, like, Shining-themed events. Yeah, and then they also have, like, a witches kind of meetup group that meets. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 
and they do seances there. They That's do haunted good ghost for tours. Our listeners to know because we have a lot of practicing witches. Yeah, actually, though, some people actually went to one of their events and tagged us in the picture and told us we should go there. So oh, I finally went. Found it. No, I actually had found it before just because I don't even know. You know, there are sometimes where I follow people on Instagram and I think it was just meant to be. <laughs> it was fate. It was fate intervening in our lives on in, via Instagram. Was it fate? Was it a spell? Was it voodoo? Was it voodoo? Which is our topic this week. Voodoo. I have always been so fascinated with voodoo. But I think I didn't have a full understanding of what it was. Yeah, I didn't either. Because when we were doing our research, I learned that voodoo is not black magic like many people believe it to be. Yeah. It's actually a religion. Right. So that was new news. Right. I actually listened. So before we like get into our stories, we did a little bit of research on the history of voodoo. And I just have to give a shout out to the Stuff You Should Know podcast because they provided me with all this information and enlightened me. <laughs> I mean, I think with the way we know it, it's the way we see it in movies and as like right. how it is depicted in popular culture. Culture, mm-hmm. so like voodoo dolls, hexes, and like animal sacrifices, and all of those things. But voodoo is actually a healing process. It focuses on healing. It's almost yeah. It's like like when people think of shamans. Yeah, it's similar to that, right? They're healers. Yeah. And they it, provide exorcisms. It's like a bunch of. And that's not to say that there aren't some practicing, I think it's voodooists that use it for bad purposes. Oh, yeah. You'll find out from my story. There are. (laughs) Yeah. But then there's also, you know, there's also the really good, good intentions behind it. So it's a religion that actually originated in Africa. And then when slave ships from West Africa came to Louisiana, they brought with them voodoo. And it's thought to be a combination of African, Catholic, and Native American traditions. So when slaves arrived to the U.S., they were Christian Catholic and taught the faith. And while they were being taught about the Catholic religion, they realized that there were a lot of parallels between their own beliefs and that of... And let's just be clear. They weren't taught. They were forced to convert to Christianity. That's true. Slavery was awful and their living conditions were just horrendous. And they had no freedom of choice. They were forced to do everything. But so then they saw all these parallels between their beliefs and Catholicism, and they would create these amulets that had the power to heal or cause harm, and they would conduct rituals involving drums, prayer, and dance in order to bring the desired effect out of the amulets. And voodoo is different everywhere you where everywhere you go or everywhere in the world. There's not one specific practice, and that's how kind of all religion is. Right. The people who practice voodoo believe that there's a visible and invisible world and that they're intertwined and that death is a transition into the invisible world. So our predecessors are still with us in spirit and watching over us and inspiring us. So they believe in uh, a supreme god, which in Haiti is called Bondier, which means good god. And they believe that the only way to contact the superior god is is through communication with the hundreds of thousands of other spirits in the in the invisible world. And those spirits are known as Iowa or Iwa. And those spirits receive their powers from God and they act as the middleman between humans and the supreme God. I just have to say, it, this isn't about voodoo, but just talking about slavery reminded me that when I was in Nashville, I went to the Bell Mead Plantation, which is extremely... It's extremely beautiful. Wow. But one of the interesting things is 
which I noticed, and I wonder if a lot of plantations do this, is that they don't focus on the negative of what happened. They only talk about the good. So they kind of breezed over slavery and just focused on a couple slaves who, after slavery was abolished, chose to stay on the farm as paid workers. So they were like, oh, look, like they loved it so much they stayed. And I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Is that what happened? So I, oh, it just makes me so upset. Yeah, it's so interesting because they just like breeze over this stuff. And actually, I was talking to a friend who had been in the area for a wedding and he said that he went to a wedding on that plantation and it was really beautiful an awesome spot to have a wedding but he said some people will take wedding photos like by the slave houses or in the slave houses which i think is a big no-no yeah yeah it just feels i understand that it's beautiful but it just feels like a weird i don't know what the right word is it just yeah it just feels a little off it does feel a little off it's it's like having a child's birthday in a cemetery yeah I don't know. It was just very beautiful. And I don't know enough research or I didn't do enough research or know enough about the Bellmead plantation and the people who live there to make these judgments based on just like what we know generally of slavery. But it was just interesting. But I think it's a fair judgment based on what we know. We can assume. Yeah. We should do a plantation episode in the future and do more research. <gasps> we should. Actually, oh, I asked. I asked, obviously. Really? If it was haunted. Yes, I was encouraged by the people that I was with, Zoe, Alexa, and Marissa, to ask <laughs> the woman at the end of the tour if it was haunted. And she said that a lot of people ask her that and that she hasn't experienced anything and she hasn't heard of anyone else experiencing anything. Huh. But she was like, but it's a plantation, there's an attic, there's a basement, so we can just assume <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And then I was like, are there? And I started to ask more follow-up questions, and she's like, I don't really like to think about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. This is your place of work, and you walk around alone here because you're a tour guide, so I'll drop it. <laughs> you don't want to be terrified at work. Right. <laughs> right. Well, last few words about voodoo. So during ceremonies and these prayer observances, followers of voodoo will ask spirits for advice, and sometimes they might have to perform rituals, which sometimes involves animal sacrifice. But it's all about kind of keeping up these relationships with these Iowa spirits. And then voodoo actually places value on strength of community and support and enrichment. So it's focused often often on survival. And there was this woman who said in her New Orleans community, many voodooists feel that part of religion is service to their community. So there's an emphasis on healing and social activism. Hmm. Well, it doesn't sound bad at all. No, it sounds very fascinating, but I bet your story will make us think differently. (laughs) Shall I go into it? Sure. Okay. Well, like we said in the very beginning, when you hear voodoo, You usually think about spells and hexes and voodoo dolls and scary, scary people cursing you. But what many of us probably don't think about are zombies. (laughs) Wait, your story has a zombie involved? (laughs) Yep. Oh, my God. Okay, okay. This is actually very real. Like, it's, it's a real thing. So... This isn't some cryptid, weird folklore type of story. This is a real thing. Okay. Who, what's the, who is it? Okay. Well, there, it's a bunch of people. So I'm going to go through. Oh, 
Okay. All right. A little background. Zombies became a part of Haitian voodoo. So we're in Haiti for my story. It became a part of Haitian voodoo when slaves were first brought over from Africa to Haiti. These people worked to death as slaves, which led the Haitians to create this idea of working even in the afterlife. The idea that, you know, hell is real and these people were just zombies working until they die and then working some more, some like horrible. I mean, we we know what slavery is. So it's horrible, horrible. Haitian zombies wake from the dead. And when they do, they are subservient, mindless and without a soul. In Haiti, zombies do not rot or eat the living like we see in many of the American movies. Instead, a deceased person's soul is captured by a boker, who is a male voodoo sorcerer or a kaplata. I'm probably saying these wrong. Who is a a female voodoo witch. And the soul is used to arouse the deceased person's body once again. And then they are used as slaves to the boker. Oh, that sounds so horrible. so much of american horror story american horror story coven remember they yes they bring him back to life the whole uh and they, aren't they in new orleans and there's the voodoo witch and yeah uh, that's a good yeah. that's a good season if anyone's gonna watch my story is actually about one of the characters depicted on that season oh shit okay all right so here is my true story there was a man named clervius Narcissus who was believed to be a real Haitian zombie. He passed away in 1962, and his death was documented and confirmed by two American doctors. But in 1980, he seemingly walked into the village, vacant-eyed, approached his sister, and told his sister that it was him, and that a witch doctor had brought him back to life and had enslaved him on a sugar plantation for the past (gasps) 18 years. What? He told authorities that his soul had been taken by a sorcerer and Narcissus was able to answer questions that only he would know. And also villagers and family members recognized him. And there's even a photo of him taken in 1980 standing and looking at the camera 18 years after his death. So what I know, like, I know this is a podcast about suspending belief, but my my mind just can't wrap around this. I'm going through all these possibilities of how that could happen, and I just can't figure it out. Well, I'm going to – you're going to find out because we do okay, – okay. there's a, a conclusion. There's resolution. We know what happened. Oh, good. Thank you. So what really happened, Sabrina? I know you want to know. <laughs> to, fi- <laughs> to find out, we have to meet – Wade Davis and Max Beauvoir. I love all these French names. I know. I'm actually really excited to pronounce all my names. Are we going into a time machine to go meet them? Yes, we are. We're going back to uh, around probably the 60s, 70s, 80s. I don't okay. remember. I think and they'll 80s. be our first. They'll be our first guests on the podcast. All right. Let's bring in Wade Davis first. Okay. Wade Davis was a Harvard professor and he heard of Narcissus' zombie tale and he was so intrigued that he actually went to Haiti and trekked into the jungle, which is where he met Max Beauvoir. Max Beauvoir was born in Haiti in the mid-1930s, but moved to America where he eventually graduated with a degree in biochemistry and landed his first job at Cornell Medical Center. He went on to work at a few other places in the Northeast, but after his father passed away, he moved back to Haiti and he himself became a voodoo priest. 
before uh, his grandfather had passed away. So his, his father passed away, which led him to move back to Haiti. But um, previously in his life, his grandfather had passed away and his grandfather had been a voodoo priest and had anointed him his successor, granting him the ability to become a voodoo priest. Whoa. Not only did Beauvoir become a voodoo priest, he became Haiti's high priest and supreme chief of voodoo, later referred to as the Pope of voodoo, the voodoo king, and the godfather of voodoo. Okay, not so because I'm doing the voodoo queen story next. Look at us. We're only choosing the best here. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, oh my gosh, like, can you imagine being the godfather of voodoo? That's pretty freaking cool. What an honor. What an honor. And he was voted by his people to be in that position too because I didn't write this down, so I'm going from memory now. But um, I believe they had some issues just like working with the local government and um, Mm. trying to practice voodoo uh, within Haiti. And so the people had voted him to be the representative for the voodooists. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. Yes. So he was very loved by the Haitian people. Oh, and he was even credited with some major events like saving thousands of voodoo priests from lynchings due to the cholera outbreak. Wow. Even halting a U.S. invasion. He met the Clintons. And Bill Clinton wrote about their encounter in his memoir. He wrote about the experience and said, The spirits arrived, seizing a woman and a man. The man proceeded to rub a burning torch all over his body and walk on hot coals without being burned. The woman, in a frenzy, screamed repeatedly, then grabbed a live chicken and bit its head off. Oh. So they definitely, he made an impression on the Clintons. Clearly. I mean, that's one way to make an impression. Yeah. So going back to Davis, Davis is the professor who heard about Narcissa's zombie-like state and wanted to find out how it happened. So Davis went to Haiti where he met to Beauvoir. Mm -hmm. And Beauvoir introduced Davis to a boker or a sorcerer and showed him the magical zombie powder that they use to create zombies. This zombie power is said to be magical and be able to resurrect the dead. And Professor Davis was so amazed that he wrote the book, The Serpent and the Rainbow, based off of this, which was eventually turned into a blockbuster film and is thought to be responsible for the entire zombie craze in Hollywood. Is it by the same name? I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah. Probably. I want to watch that. I'm assuming it's a little bit older, like a 80s, 90s flick. Okay, but back to the mystery of the zombie Narcisse. Narcissus. So Professor Davis thought that there must be some sort of chemical interaction that had created these zombie-like feelings in Narcissus, such as like uh, plummeting temperatures and the inability to speak. But it was still really strange that two U.S. doctors had pronounced Narciss dead. Right. So Professor Davis wanted to see how the powder was made. And so Beauvoir referred him to Marcel Pierre. Marcel Pierre. <laughs> I definitely said that wrong. <laughs> no, that was great. A black magic witch doctor. Black magic. Key Keyword. Mm-hmm. Who then gave Professor Davis the recipe. Would you like to know the ingredients? I absolutely would. I was going to ask it earlier, but I figured you would tell me. Freshly killed blue lizards. Dead toad wrapped in dried sea worm. Itching pea, 
which is a vine, parts of a poisonous pufferfish, and the skull of a dead baby. <gasps> Human remains no. are in this powder. And it's all like, what? And I'm sure probably some other things, too, that I just didn't see, but... Uh, yeah. And it's so, all just, like, grinded together? Uh, yep, it's in a powder. It's like paprika. Ugh, wow. All right. Professor Davis sent some of this zombie powder to another professor who was in the States, Leon Roizen, who did some tests on the solution, and Roizen put the powder on the backs of rats who became completely to- comatose. And then six <sighs> hours later, they pretty much seemed like they were dead, uh, except they did have uh, the faintest of a heartbeat and some of the brain waves were still being picked up. So what the powder does is it appears to create a fake death. Yeah, I was going to say it sounds like a paralytic almost. Well, that's exactly what it is. This is like Romeo and Juliet, basically. Here is how the fake death zombie creation works in Haiti. A boker will select a victim Usually the victim did something bad or is a criminal, and the zombification is used to maintain control over the community and remove those who are ill-intentioned. But that does not mean that everyone who's been turned into a zombie was a bad person. For example, our zombie man, Narciss, he had been in a land dispute with his brother. So we think that's what triggered the zombie zombification. A brother rivalry. Right. A good old, why can't I remember? Abel and uh, the brothers in the Bible. Cain and Abel. I don't know. (laughs) I'm the worst Catholic in the world. (laughs) Okay. So the voodoo sorcerer then gives the zombie powder to the victim, either through injection or ingestion. So either like in their food or maybe putting in a cloth and making them inhale it. Or I even read about a blow dart being used to inject them with this powder can i just say real quick how do you i mean how do you practice blow darting someone because i feel like it's hard to get an accurate hit it's it's not and i only say that because my brother used to create blow darts out of pens when he was younger (laughs) and would practice doing them and they were they're like freaking fast and sharp and go in a straight line so he he there's some holes in our in our walls at home. It's easier than <laughs> At least there's think. not holes in human beings. Right. Well, yeah. There was a lot of screaming coming from me when he would do it near me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, okay. So they inject the powder either through ingestant, whatever. I can't say that word. They inject <laughs> the powder and the powder puts the victim into a death-like paralysis. Like what you said, Sabrina. Then they are pronounced as dead and they are buried. About eight hours after being buried, the boker will then dig up the body. Let me remind you that the boker is the only one that knows that they're actually alive. So everyone around them does not know that they were targeted. Right. By oh my gosh, that's so scary. Voodoo, dark magic zombification type of thing. Instead, they think yeah. that they just lost a family member. And so like Narciss was buried by his two sisters. And so when he arrived into the um, like town center and approached them they were like what is happening because they right they mourned his death they went to his funeral they buried his body and then here he is 18 years later standing in front of them to them he is a zombie, zombie. he came at, back out from the ground right wow so they're pronounced dead they're buried eight hours later the boker will dig up the body and begin the zombie ritual 
which is where they the poker captures a part of the soul and stores it in a jar. It's like Ursula. It is. Ah, keep singing. Ah, <laughs> you sound just like her. <laughs> I almost got the part, but they passed me up. It was sad. Ugh, rude. Rude. And now here I am <laughs> doing a podcast instead. And you're still singing Ariel's part. Still reliving my audition every day. You don't need to be cast as it to live like her. <laughs> True. Okay. After a day or two, the boker will then give another powder to the victim called zombie cucumber. So it's just a regular cucumber, but they call it a zombie cucumber? Yes, it's a zombie cucumber, which is basically just a hallucinogenic, and it keeps the victim in this oh. state of disorientation. It makes them submissive and easily manipulated. And Whoa. There you go. You have a sleeve. So That's these, so horrible. It is, because as scary as it sounds to be a zombie or meet a zombie, these zombies are basically just kidnapped people who are drugged and kept as slaves. Yeah, and completely manipulated. And I bet he believed that he actually was dead too. I'm sure because it was part of his religion and part of his beliefs and, <gasps> and the myth and everything. So he was probably greatly confused as well. Do you think he like, because I wonder when you're paralyzed, your brain is still working. So you're consciously aware of what's happening. Does does he know he was buried alive? Yes. Oh, well, that, that is horrible. I'll, I'll get to what exactly happened to him. Okay. Okay, but it's it said, so the death is faked. The boker digs up the person, gives them more drugs to keep them in this submissive, uh, receptive state so that they can never mm -hmm. escape. They're basically just empty shells going about and doing whatever the boker tells them. So they're a slave, um, which is exactly what Narciss had told his sister and the police. He said, I was kept by as a slave by the witch doctor on it doctor on a sugar plantation wow it is said that when the boker dies the zombie will return to its grave site for its final rest it is also said that if you feed a zombie salt they will come to it will wear off all the other drugs and they will then kill the boker who turned them and then they themselves will finally return to their resting place i mean not to condone murder but like that's i would do the same yeah, kill your captor. Jeez. Yeah. So what happened to Narciss? Here's here's his story. In okay. 1962, the year of his supposed death, Narciss checked into the Albert Schweitzer Hospital in Haiti due to a fever and body chills, body aches. Within a few days, he was declared dead, and Narciss remembers the doctors pulling the sheet over his face. He remembers being <sighs> placed in the coffin. He remembers the sound of the nails driving the coffin shut, and he remembers no. being lowered into the ground and buried. He was then dug up sometime later and given a paste, which resulted in memory loss and hallucinations. And when he came to, he was forced to work on the sugar plantation alongside other zombies. So he was not so the only victim. They were all zombies. Yes, they were all zombies. This is... It, I, but just about like the humanity of it and, or the inhumanity of it and like how these people were, I mean, do you think any of them had like a slip of reality and were able to communicate with each other and try to get out in any way? I mean, we could parallel this with sex slavery too. It's like, I think right. everyone knows and they're aware of what's happening, but they're just not physically or mentally 
in a they're spot so where drugged. they can yeah. make the appropriate plans or moves to get out because they're just Ugh. so <sighs> disoriented and drugged and it's just horrible. All right. Okay. So back to Narciss. Two years later, after he was turned into a zombie and put to work on the sugar plantation, his boker died. And it took him some time to regain his sanity, but eventually the drugs wore off and he was able to return to his senses. But it took him another full 16 years after his boker's death to make his way back to his family because he believed his brother had sold him to the boker because of their land dispute. And so Narciss remained in hiding until his brother died. Oh my gosh. So for 16 years, he hid and watched until his brother passed away before approaching his family members to say he was still alive. Wow. Yeah. The patience you must have. Because I mean, you never know what's going to happen. Like what if his sisters had passed away in that time? Well, if your own life is on the line... I know. It's just, I mean, it's just, it's such a crazy, Yeah, I, I could not, not like fathom. it's not like they have the judicial system that we do, so. And even now, you know, there's there, that that's an issue There's well. still plenty that's wrong with everything. Nothing's perfect in life. Except for you, Sabrina. I was just going to say, except for us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh. but I do want to say, while this is like totally messed up and very terrifying, Zombies are not common in voodoo religion, uh, and many don't even believe in it. They think it's just folklore, while the other side, of course, is people who fear it and think it's real, sort of like us, you know, like ghosts. And right. Some yeah. people believe in ghosts, others don't. But while this case of Narciss is very real and he was enslaved and turned into a zombie, I don't think that this is something that happens frequently enough because there are still plenty of people, Haitian people, people who practice voodoo or right. whatever, and they don't believe in zombies. So it's not like everyone who knows someone who practice that, practices that religion needs to be nervous about zombies. I just think it's so fascinating that practitioners of voodoo have such a knowledge of medicinal herbs and how like a combination of things can cause certain reactions. Like I I just think it's such a yeah. fascinating study and understanding of plants and medicine it in is. a way that I don't think we always use in that's not used in Western medicine. Right. And I do wonder who came up with that because what happened to Narcissus was before Beauvoir turned into turned into, started practicing voodoo, became a uh, voodoo priest. But Beauvoir did study biochemistry and had a lot of jobs which could have led him to discovering how these interactions happen. So we can't say that people who succeeded him, or sorry, preceded him, did not figure out the same thing and create this zombie powder. It may not have just been by chance. It could have been very Mm. medical um, and scientific when it first started. Yeah, it's possible. But I also think these date way back. And did his grandfather pass down the knowledge, which in turn made him interested in biochemistry? Maybe. And then he combined that knowledge. I don't know. Uh, we don't know. We don't know. We can't we say. Know. We don't know. There are parts of the pufferfish which are so dangerous that they're supposed to kill any living creature so i think if you have a certain diluted version of it it probably does almost kill someone but then again how many people did they actually kill before they realized how much to put into the potion which will only create a paralysis that's why they have trial periods before they can actually put it on the market 
I was in a trial for allergy medicine. <laughs> I, I didn't actually go through with it. I did like, because you were supposed to get paid or whatever. So I was like, oh, this sounds like a great way to make 50 bucks. <laughs> I was like 12. So I went to the info thing. It was first just like a Claritin, basically. It was like some people get the Claritin, some people get the placebo. And I just Damn. went to the informational thing and I was like, you know what? I can't risk getting the placebo because I will just, my I will die. My you allergies. Need, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I didn't go through with it, but I want to be in a sleep study. Ooh, so that you can find out that you're actually astral projecting. Just so I can find out why the heck I can't sleep well and why I'm always tired. I can tell you why. It's because you have like <laughs> three jobs and you're stressed. And oh my god, I I haven't cried in real life in a very long time, but I've been crying in my dreams every night, and it's oh. very. I wake up feeling like a little like stressed out, but it's also very cathartic that I just cried and cried throughout my sleep well that's good it might have actually been you because we've already had this conversation that you're it could have you're been really me. living your life in your sleep you're astral projecting but she i thought my astral self was like a partier but now she's crying it's like ugh, girl go have some fun she's too stressed she's too overworked <laughs> i was supposed to hold all the stress and she was supposed to have all the fun she's podcasting she's <laughs> that's me She's but doing the same. She's doing the fun. And then you're also but trying to maintain a relationship <laughs> with Nick and friendships with other people and a social life. There's not time for all of those. So that's why no. you don't get to sleep so that you can make time for all of those. Okay. So you just did the voodoo king. So you're going to do the voodoo queen? Of course, because I am your counterpart <laughs> in everything we do. You know, we don't ever plan the episodes really, but I feel like often things come together. It's the universe, man. It makes it easier on us. We really don't do that much planning. <laughs> we do a lot of work, but we don't do much planning. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm doing Marie Laveau or the Voodoo Queen. Marie and Laveau. you might be familiar with her name because she was actually a character played by Angela Bassett. Yes, on who was American Horror so, Story? So good! Oh, this my is God. actually one of my favorite characters that she's ever played. Yes, oh, she killed it! It was so good. Yes. She was like, she was the villain, but I was rooting for her the whole time. Her real story is a little bit different than depicted on American Horror Story because American Horror Story was TV. Mm -hmm. Marie Catherine Laveau was born on September tenth, eighteen o one, in New Orleans, Louisiana. Her mother, Marguerite, was owned as a slave by her very own father, who was a white male, which I just think is so Jeez. crazy to me. Yeah. And then when she turned 18, her father freed her, but not really because he set up an arranged marriage for her. So he, she went from slavery to another form of someone else's property. Mm -hmm. So she married this man who was an affluent white man in New Orleans. They had three children together. But that relationship didn't satisfy Marguerite. So she had an affair with another white man named Charles Laveau. So and she, we can tell that she liked white men. Well, either that or she was forced into white men and then also just had an affair with them. That's true. She may not have felt like she had a choice to have the affair or not. It may have been. It does sound forced. like the affair was actual of love because when she got pregnant, Marguerite got pregnant with Marie and... Why did I write this? I wrote the relationship produced. She's not a like it's like a factory line. Um, <laughs> she produced <laughs> children. They produced, but yeah. So Marguerite got pregnant it was with a Charles's baby, and that relationship. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
baby in, baby out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Very scientific. Moving on. She gave birth to Marie and then Marguerite left the newborn baby with her mother, Catherine. So Marguerite left Marie in order to go have her affair with Charles. So she kind of just like left her responsibilities with her mother. So Marie's Mm -hmm. grandmother, Catherine, is the one who primarily took care of her. And Catherine actually has a very interesting story. And she's just like a badass woman who was actually taken from Africa at seven years old and forced into slavery, which is just so horrible. Taken away from her family. This is a rough life. it's It's a horrible life. But she was badass because she said, like, she just, based on what I was reading, she just took no one's shit and she she bought herself out of slavery and then girl and then she bought her own land and a house and then she spent the rest of her life working to free her other five children so then it was just Catherine and marie in new orleans during a time of separate worlds it was the white versus black not versus but it was just a very separate it was segregated for people yes and so navigating the world and social politics was very difficult for both of them But Marie defeated the odds and earned the respect and the fear of all of New Orleans. Marie was a very quiet child. She spent most of the days at her grandmother's house. And then when she was 18, she married a Haitian immigrant, Jacques Perry. After a year, Jacques disappeared without a trace. And still to this day, no one knows where Jacques went or what happened to him. If he died, no one knows. A year later, Marie got involved with a white man, Christophe Glapion. I'm going to pretend that's how you say it. And she lived with him until he died in 1855, but they never married. And they apparently had 15 children together, but only two of them survived past infancy. Fifteen? Fifteen. Could you imagine? Not only... Not only can you imagine having 15 children and having those come out of your... Out of your vagina. And then... (laughs) (laughs) And then the... Can you imagine losing 13 of them? That's so tough. I mean, it like did happen to babies. everyone, though, so it's not like it was just them. But still. But I, that doesn't, yeah, it doesn't change the heartbreak that you feel. Right. It only changes your expectations, you know? Like, now I don't right. think anyone goes into, at least where we live, people don't go into the birth of their child expecting that right. they won't make it. Whereas but also birth day, control. I think it was. So one of the children that survived is named Marie the Second who is actually just as famous, if not more famous, as her mother for voodoo practice, but this is not about her. So after Jacques disappeared, Marie started working as a hairdresser to kind of build her own career, and she built this client base of a ton of wealthy women and families in the New Orleans area. She would go home to home providing hair care, and then she would start practicing voodoo. And how she did this was that she would use... It's it's very interesting because... Marie is like kind of the greatest con woman to ever exist, but also she did use voodoo magic. So just keep that in mind when I tell you this story. Uh, So yeah, so she began practicing voodoo while being a hairdresser. And it's believed that her mother and grandmother were also voodoo priestesses. And Marie actually had a snake named Zombie, named after an African god, which she would carry around with her like on the weekends or while she was out on the streets. And she used her career as a hairdresser to build her reputation as a woman of magical abilities. So she created a network of willing informants and followers who helped her obtain pertinent information about the wealthy white households. She mm. would cut the slaves' she hair. She was an investigator. She was a detective. 
Yes, yes. So she would cut the slaves' hair and offer them charms, prayers, and spells in return for all the dirty gossip. Ooh, I like that. Yes, it was kind of like a network of of um, whisperers. She also at a point owned a brothel where the wealthy white men would come in and then the women at the brothel would kind of like steal their secrets and, and then tell Marie the secrets. And then Marie would take these secrets and all the gossip that she learned and she would go to the slave owners and she would tell them that the spirits shared all this information with her and that she could help them, but for a fee. So she, it's a kind of a little bit of a con, right? Mm-hmm. But she also did do good things and she helped a lot of the slaves and she did a lot of good for people who were, who she, it's like kind of like a Robin Hood scenario where she helped yeah. people. But she's who also, she's got to make a living, you know, she can't right. do everything for free. Yeah. She'd also have some of her followers like scratch symbols into doorsteps to make people believe that they were hexed or she'd send like beautiful women into the way of, of men in order to like trap them with their beauty. She was, I think, great at marketing is what we can oh, deduct great. from this. She is a very smart businesswoman. And so then people would start rushing to Marie for assistance to help her remove hexes and help with like their personal lives. And so Marie quickly became known as the voodoo queen of New Orleans. And then people from all over were seeking her guidance. And so, like I said, in addition to her little cons, she was also known to nurture the sick through many epidemics, and she was known also to cause deaths through voodoo. Some people condemned her as a witch, but then others thought of her as a saint. So much so that on Sundays, people and slaves would gather in this area called Congo Square after church and prayer, and then Marie would conduct worship by leading people in chants and drums. She would stand there with the snake wrapped around her neck, and she would just lead prayers. She'd sell her cures and steal more secrets, and then people would cheer in this square, Queen Marie, Queen Marie, Queen Marie, over and over. (laughs) She was also known to have the power to put a person in or out of jail, and there's this one story where a wealthy man's son was on trial for murder, so he approached Marie for help, and Marie said that she could get his son free in exchange for a house on St. Anne Street. So they made an agreement and Marie conducted a voodoo ritual where she took three hot peppers, put them in her mouth as she spoke her intentions into them. She then took those peppers and put them under the judge's seat along with a cow's tongue with a nail hammered through it. So when the prosecutor went to his seat, he was so baffled that he could not continue with the case, which in turn set the the man's son free. Wait, oh, so and he could, he saw the pepper in the tongue? Yeah, so he went to go to his seat and was just so baffled. And because the idea is that she put a, like a hex on these peppers, that the pr- prosecutor was hexed after seeing those. Oh. So he couldn't go through with the case. And the story goes that she ended up got getting a house because she did this. Wow. Um, wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. How do I? Uh, ooh. Who do I need to talk to to do this? Do you just need to start doing voodoo? I can put some peppers in my mouth. Give it a try and let me know. You might see me on the news. (laughs) (laughs) That's normal. (laughs) (laughs) Just normal. You're just trying to get your house in Beacon Hill. I know. Okay, so the story is that she got the house. But it's kind of – I couldn't find for certain if if she really did get the house because she lived and died in the same house, which – is the house that her grandmother Catherine had bought all those years ago. So I don't know if it was 
she got another house on that street next to her grandmother's house because her grandmother's house was on St. Anne Street. I'm not sure. But one of her greatest tricks was that as she was getting older and older, she somehow would appear as a very young woman. So every morning, a young woman would leave the St. Anne home and she would be dressed in Marie's clothing. She would be greeting people. And as she greeted people, she would have conversations with them about things that they had talked about many, many years ago. Oh. And people were so confused. How is she getting younger? Is she so powerful that the Iwa was granting her eternal youth? Oh, she's so or, smart because even before you started talking about this, I believed it. I was like, damn, what's she doing? Like using olive oil <laughs> or something? Like what's her trick? What's her trick? Her I don't trick know. is to use body doubles. <laughs> yes. So her daughter, Marie II, looked similar to her in her youth. And so Marie II, who ended up being gifted with the same powers and skills that Marie had, was posing as her mother. And then there's this event where Marie II wanted to show off her mother's abilities to a wider audience. So the night before St. John's birthday, which is the summer solstice, she went around town and it's actually a really big celebration that they have in New Orleans and I think they've had for for many many years. Summer solstice? Yeah, but it's the Saint it's Saint John's birthday, so that's what they specifically are celebrating, which is the summer solstice, which is coming up very soon. June 21st, it's my dad's birthday. Yeah. Oh. Lucky guy. <laughs> Longest day of light. Is that why you guys are so spiritual? Because Spooky? my dad is Born on summer solstice. Born on summer solstice. Yeah. And is a Gemini and is a real life twin. That is a magical birth. (laughs) He's a shaman, actually. I always said that he's a insurance agent, but really he's a shaman. (laughs) The insurance company is just a front (laughs) to learn everyone's secrets. (laughs) He learns who gets in accidents and when and why. And then he goes to them and tells them that he heard it from the spirits. (laughs) Okay. So then, so Maria II went around town and just told everyone about this big celebration that they were having down at the bayou. And thousands of people arrived that night and saw, and when they arrived, they saw this woman dressed in white coming out of the waters. And it was Marie. She was surrounded by floating white candles. She kind of like rised up oh what I imagine. She rised up from under the water and starts walking out towards the shore. This and sounds this, so beautiful. Right? Doesn't it sound so magical? So she starts be, like, she starts, saying this chant and everyone joins in with her chanting along with her and then she walks down the street to this other home where less people were invited it was more exclusive and she they continued the celebration and she sat on a throne with her feet resting on this cage with uh where her python was in and she directed the ceremony which involved a dozen young ladies and a couple of men they were chanting and dancing beating to drums they were dancing so 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 like wildly that their clothing turned from turned transparent because of the sweat Jeez. and then it became an all hands on deck orgy i should say all hands oh. on junk oh how does that yep uh, uh... Okay. Uh, it was just part of the ritual, I guess. It was I a know, ceremony. But you're so sweaty. That's gross. Like, don't touch me. They're all in the moment. You know, you get sweaty during sex anyway. I know, but you don't start out with see-through clothing and that slippery. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's what turned them on—is the see-through clothing. Ugh. <laughs> I just anyway. I have a skewed perspective because I always think about like the time 
in which this happened and like people's hygiene and how gross everyone probably I know. smelled. Well, then at that point, who cares, right? I care. 1800s? I care a lot. <laughs> That's why you live now, not then. I know. I would just um, be like the old hag, this old celibate <laughs> hag that lives in the house all alone with no servants because I don't like people. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd be the same. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Marie slowly stopped practicing voodoo and she got sick so she confined herself into her home and she died on June 15th, 1881 at 79 years old. Her ghost has been seen quite often. So she's buried in St. Louis Cemetery Number 1, which is believed to be the most haunted cemetery in America. Visitors claim to have seen the ghost of the voodoo queen herself walking around the cemetery in her trademark turban. And she would whisper, like, while she's walking around, she's whispering Santeria voodoo curses to disrespectful gawkers. So if you are rude to her, she will curse you. And then people will visit her grave. And then it, it's really interesting if you... I think I'm pretty sure it's off limits now if unless you go on a tour. But when you go and visit the crypt where she's buried, you'll notice that people leave offerings, candles, flowers, voodoo dolls, etc. at her grave in the hopes that Laveau will grant them their wishes. And there are two different legends. One is that people will make a wish at her tomb and if it comes true, they come back and mark three X's on the tomb. So it's kind of, but then the other legend is that if people want to make a wish or if they want a wish to be granted, they have to draw an X on the tomb, turn around three times, knock on the tomb three times, yell out their wish, and then go home. And if it's granted, then they come back and draw a circle around their X and leave Laveau an offering. I'm not sure. how many circles are on the tombstone. There's pictures of the tomb and there are a t- it's just there are so many things engraved into it from tourists and people alike which is not, it's sad it's destroying this historic cemetery and uh, her final resting place. Right, but what if this is real? What if this is true? Right, well, maybe. And this is the conditions that she has laid out, so this is what she wanted. It's very possible. It's like a visual to prove to everyone how powerful she still is, even in the afterlife. Like, look at all of these wishes I've granted. Look at my power. Look at how amazing I am. We'll have to go and ask her. Okay. Actually, there's a band. (laughs) I I had to add this because in 1982, there was a New Jersey-based punk rock group called The Misfits. So they're from New Jersey. And they went to New Orleans and performed a local concert and then went to the location of the grave and try to dig up and exhume marie lavo's body are you kidding me and they were very quickly arrested yeah good like what no oh my it god it reminds me of that Stupid. movie oh my gosh what's that movie with megan fox the one where they try to like sacrifice her to become a famous band <gasps> oh wasn't she a vampire I don't know if she was it. I thought that's devil? how she turned into a vampire. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's where she was like, she turned into a vampire because they needed a virgin. And so the band tried to sacrifice her. But I don't think she was a virgin or something like that. And it backfired on her. And she turned into a vampire and she bit them all. And then she returned to her high school prom. Jennifer's body. Yeah. Isn't she a vampire? Is she? 
Or a zombie or something? I thought she, she was possessed. People. I just thought she was like demon. Cannibalistic demon. A.K.A. zombie vampire. <laughs> A.K.A. Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, God. I was thinking about him yesterday and how messed up he is. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I was going to bed last night and I was thinking of Jeffrey Dahmer. Okay, back to Marie Laveau. So her ghost has also been seen in human form near St. Anne Street where she lived. And she appears to walk down the street dressed in a long white gown. So cool. Other people have also heard her singing near St. John's Bayou where she held that beautiful magical celebration or ceremony. A man also claims to have witnessed her in a pharmacy and that she slapped him across the face and then floated up towards the ceiling. (laughs) Which makes me wonder if someone went to visit her her tomb and was like i need you to beat up my husband who cheated on me yeah give him a little scare make him think he's gonna be hexed that's my theory of that who knows and it's also so the house that she lived in and died in was actually knocked down in 1903 but a new building was built up on top of the same land but as we know just because you knock down a building doesn't mean that a spirit goes away nope so Laveau's spirit has been seen in that home and it's believed that she's having she's meeting with her followers who also have passed on and they continue to perform rituals in the house oh my god this is the coolest thing i've ever heard and there was a couple there are a few stories that i have from the house so the home was a vacation rental for a little while i don't know if it still is but a couple decided to stay at the house for a vacation they spent the day touring the french quarter and then when they returned home they got ready for bed got into bed they were about to fall asleep when they heard sounds of chanting and drumming and they thought the sound was coming from outside so they tried to sleep through it but then it persisted and got louder and they realized nope this is coming from inside the house specifically from the living room so spooked they left the home and when they returned in the morning they found a single black feather in the middle of the living room floor but there was no way that it could have gotten there otherwise all of the doors and windows were completely shut what And I read that apparently if you find a black feather on your pillow, it is said to be a sign of grave sickness or death, like almost like a bad omen. So they did, they're lucky it wasn't on their pillow, but it's also believed that one of Marie Laveau's, um, what's the word? Like she would use a black feather in a lot of her practices. It's interesting because I'm thinking back to our listener story where that woman's grandfather leaves a black feather for her when he shows wants to show that he's there for her right but that's different i think it's conditional and it's also like based on what you believe so just because there's a legend or folklore that a black feather on your pillow means that doesn't necessarily mean right you know it's like owls some believe owls are witches and others believe them to be these like awesome great omens and protectors which we should all go with the latter save the animals Save the animals. Love the animals. Okay, so then last story. Another man saw a shadow figure in the corner of the room just standing there and glaring at him. And so scary. And lastly, other people experience fits of sleep paralysis while staying in the home when they've never in their lives ever experienced it before that. Because sleep paralysis is real, folks. Scientists and doctors may tell you that there is an explanation, but we believe... You know. You've had it. It's triggered from something paranormal. Maybe your physiological response is ex- explainable, but what brings it on? Hmm? Hmm? Doctors? Mm-hmm. Hmm? Tell me <laughs> that. There's probably like five published peer-reviewed articles on like, <laughs> what causes it, what yeah. brings it on. 
whatever. You know what? You don't do heroin, and I know that that is one of the things that scientists try to explain as okay, a well, reason. I don't do any drugs, so I took melatonin, and I was basically had a stroke. I couldn't talk for half a day, so <laughs> I, clearly I don't respond well to medicine. I don't take anything, even though melatonin is natural. I don't know why that happened. Well, like voodoo, it's a, a natural thing, so we're all the things included in the zombie paste. It's true. Uh, yeah, so if you want to visit Marie Laveau or see her, they actually have tours of, I mean, all of the tours in New Orleans, the haunted tours, they'll pass St. Arbor Street and they'll mention the home. And then you can also go visit the cemetery and maybe you'll see her. Dun, dun, dun. And if you do, please tell us. Shall we do listener stories? We shall. I'm so excited to read these. I'm excited to read mine because it goes with your story. It's called Bringing Marie Laveau's Voodoo into My Bedroom. <gasps> no way. <laughs> yes. This is the universe planning for us again. I know. See, this is what I was talking about. We I didn't know you were doing this, but I still <laughs> picked out this email. Patterns, man. The universe. It all. It's gnarly, dude. <laughs> gnarly. This is from Dylan. A big hello to my favorite podcasters and Leia from Dylan. So I love your podcast, although admittedly it makes my insomnia much worse and I won't even get into the sleep paralysis. Maybe later? <laughs> <laughs> I must really sincerely love you guys since I can't stop listening even when I know the repercussions of my actions. Ha ha. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> We're kind of in the but same boat. Like we get scared yeah. and we still record. Anyways, I thought I would share a little voodoo story about how a mask from New Orleans terrified me through my childhood into my teens. When I was oh about gosh. 10 or 11, my mom and I took a trip to New Orleans where we stayed in a haunted hotel and even ate at a haunted restaurant, unbeknownst to me. I guess we truly wanted to tempt fate by going to Marie Laveau's voodoo shop. While looking through the shop, I was drawn to this beautiful black and gold hand-painted porcelain mask. I begged my mom to get it for me, and when we came back home, I proudly displayed it on my bedroom wall. Then the nightmares began. I will admit, I don't remember many of them, but I would wake up screaming every night until I stopped sleeping altogether. I would refuse to sleep in my room and would often sneak my way into my mom's room just so I could be just so I could close my eyes without fear. This continued until I was 14. Oh my gosh. So he was wow. like, Dylan was 10 or 11. So that's four years. It got so wow. bad and tore a hole into the relationship between my mom and I. Aww. One night after years of, of exhaustion, she even told me to get out. Her attempt to show me that my room was not as scary as begging outside. After about five minutes thinking the lesson had been taught, she walked outside to find me fast asleep. She was amazed. Oh. I would rather sleep out on our front porch than in my own room. Eventually, I redecorated my bedroom and I gave my mom the mask and instantly began sleeping in my room again. Then wow. my mom started waking up screaming and crying each night from nightmares. <sighs> she began praying each night and slowly got an uneasy feeling about the mask and told me to throw it out. After it was out of our house, the nightmare stopped. And we finally got some sleep in my house, at least for a few years until the sleep paralysis dream started. Dot, dot, dot. Oh, my gosh. Hope you enjoyed. Love the podcast. And really hope you both might decide to take a trip to the South for a voodoo podcast. Ha ha, Dylan. Well, we didn't go down South, but we still talked about it and want to go down yeah. South. And we want to. Maybe we will. 
Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. <laughs> I would like to. Wow. It's crazy. I mean, yeah. I mean, we've talked about this a lot where things get attached to objects. And was it Marie Laveau or was it another spirit or was it just – I mean – if you think about it, so many people go into those voodoo shops, right? So like, do, mm-hmm. do you think that someone brought something in there that attached to it? Or do you think the people who own it did something? Maybe the you mask already know. came in. I mean, it was exactly. for sale, so they had to order it from somewhere. Maybe it was already. Right. Or maybe there was something <sighs> lurking. And notice Dylan, only about 10 oh, or 11. No. And as we know, children are easily manipulated and demons right. can be attracted to them and their energy. So maybe it was like, this is the perfect opportunity. I see Dylan looking at this mask. I'm going to attach to it and entice him Ugh. to buy me. That's so scary. And I feel bad too because, I mean, if you think about the ages between 10 and 14, it's kind of a tough time. So his mom was probably just like, oh my God, like get over it. Like, right. Like so he, difficult. I heard you're how going through puberty. These- these years are yeah not realizing that it was something like really horrible i mean yeah she definitely had no idea that it was like a real thing she thought it was something else but then when she started experiencing the same things you know it probably all clicked but i i wonder what the dreams were i know he can't remember or maybe he doesn't want to remember too scarring that's so scary Well, so maybe Marie Laveau's voodoo is not all good. Well, I mean, she did she did do some bad things with her voodoo, but she also primarily helped people. Right. Well, she was it was a mix. You know what? She she used her own instincts to decide who was good and bad. It was like your version of um Banished to Doll Island. Yeah. Or like the sorting hat. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh god. All right. Uh, what do you have for us? Sorry, I got stuck in Harry Potter world for a moment. I know. I could um, tell you went, like, <laughs> oh, and then you went silent for a little. I can see the, so I can see the Universal Hogwarts castle from where I work. And I just drive home every day. I'm like, oh, I just wish I could be there. If only you could live there. Yeah. Just be at Hogwarts. Okay. 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 So this is from Haley. It's called Voodoo Story. She says, hi, ladies. First of all, let me say how much I love your podcast. It is everything I love, spookiness, the unexplained, and comedy. I usually listen when I'm out for a run, although not in the dark because I'd be way too scared. Anyway, I was racking my brains thinking of a good story to send you guys. I've thankfully only had a few spooky things happen to me, but nothing near as scary as some of the listener stories you read. However, I was thinking today and I remembered a couple of stories a guy at work told me. At my work, we have a pest control man. Let's call him David. He comes in every six weeks to check our factory for rodents. We always look forward to him coming in because he is a fantastic storyteller and will always tell us about things he's done or found, and they're always extremely interesting and funny. Anyway, the last time David came in, me and my friend were speaking about ghosts, and he had heard the tail end of our conversation, so he started asking if we believed in ghosts. This is my dream conversation. I just want to walk up and hear people talking about ghosts. I'm like, did I hear ghosts? Let me tell you about ghosts. Okay, so uh, we both said yes, that we believed in ghosts. And so he was telling us about some experiences he had. And then the topic changed and got onto voodoo. I personally am terrified of voodoo and would never touch it. But David had an interest in it. And he said he used to collect voodoo artifacts from around the world 
But after this experience, which I'm about to tell you, he started to do his best to return them to their rightful places. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. The story David told us took place about 20 to 30 years ago. His grandmother had passed away, and he, his wife, and his parents were cleaning out her house. His wife was clearing out the attic when she found a strange-looking box, very ornate and beautiful. When she opened it, there was a small doll inside that looked like it was made from straw or something similar. With the doll, there was a few pins and a couple of other strange things I can't remember. I think a locket and a penny for some reason, but I'm not 100% sure I didn't make that up. So the wife took it down to David to show him, knowing he would like to add it to his collection. David said it was really strange because he had never heard his grandmother express any interest in voodoo or anything even close to it. So he took the box and the doll home and displayed it in his window. The first strange thing to happen was after a couple of weeks, his neighbor came to his door and told him the doll that the doll gave her a bad feeling and she felt like it was watching her whenever she passed his window. She asked if he could move it and he did and put it back in his box and stored it away. And for a neighbor to like say that, it must have been really, really terrifying. Right, right. Because yeah, I'm just thinking there's someone, if you run along the bluff, there's that car that has that like old creepy doll hanging from the window. Have you seen that one? No. Oh my God, it makes me jump every single time. I don't get the creeps from the doll. It just is spooky when you are running down the path and you're like, oh, my God. So if it wasn't just like, oh, that spooked me because I wasn't expecting it. If it's like a this is giving me the creeps, that's very different. Right. Then he said a while after this, him and his wife got a divorce. And at around the same time, one of his friends was also going through a divorce. So they often would spend time together to talk about it. One night they were at David's house and they were drinking and speaking about their soon to be ex-wives. And David remembered about the voodoo doll and brought it out. They thought it would be funny to call the doll each of their wives' names and stick a pin in it. Uh, why is that funny? I'm sorry. So that's what they did. They laughed and then they forgot about it and carried on with their night before the friend went home and David went to bed. The next morning, David was woken by his mother calling on his phone. His ex-wife had been rushed to the hospital last night. She had an intense pain in her stomach and was vomiting. He hung up and almost immediately, his friend phoned him and said, you'll never guess what happened. David said, I know your wife was rushed to the hospital last night with pains in her stomach. My wife too. Straight away, David ran downstairs to the doll and pulled the pins out of it. Later that day, both women made a miraculous recovery. The doctors had no idea what had caused their pain, but let them go home. A year or so later, the friend and his wife had gotten back together, and one night he told her the story of the doll, and she wanted to see it. So the friend went to David's house and asked if he could borrow it. David was a bit scared of the doll and its power now, so he willingly gave it to his friend, not wanting it for himself. Apparently, not long after this, the couple started to fight a lot more, and David's friend beat up his wife and was arrested. Holy shit. While he was in jail, the wife left their house with everything she could, including the doll. Fast forward another few years, and David bumped into his ex-wife of his friend. She told him that she had burned the voodoo doll because it had scared her. I'm pretty sure that this would come under the same rules as haunted objects. Do not destroy. She said she has had nothing but bad luck ever since. David said he was glad that she had stolen it because it meant that it was no longer his and couldn't bring him bad luck. The fact that she stole it rather than being gifted, it meant that her luck was worse than if she was the rightful owner. And then destroying it would make it 10 times worse. As I said, David had a big collection of voodoo artifacts, artifacts, including skulls of witch doctors, which he has been trying to, yeah, 
which he has been trying to return to their tribes. He said he has one left, he is struggling to return, but nothing has ever caused any trouble like the other doll that he had found at his grandmother's house. He did tell us other stories about ghostly encounters he has experienced, but I thought you guys would like this one, which is a bit different. And let's just agree, voodoo is scary as fuck. Don't mm-hmm. mess with it. Hope you enjoyed. I would love to hear a voodoo episode one day. Once again, love your podcast. You guys rock. Haley. That's so scary. That's like an example of the black magic voodoo. Like what we said, a right. lot of voodoo is it's a religion that's meant to be about healing and white light and good energy. Right. But there are people that misuse it. And voodoo dolls seem to be one of the hot objects to be misused yes i mean the story just like it's there's so many elements to it like why did the grandmother have it did she intend to use it on someone else did she use it on someone else like or was that always in the attic and they didn't find it until the grandma died it makes me wonder too because i i didn't do any research on voodoo dolls so i don't really know what voodoo dolls are could they also be used for good? Could you have a voodoo doll and pin it in the heart and say, I hope that this person finds love and then they find love? Like, you know? Interesting. I didn't read a ton about it, but I did see that in, um, I'm pretty sure in European history, it is intended for physical harm. Hmm. Yeah. But I wonder, because I, I mean, because if you refer to the doll as a certain person, and don't stick a pin in it, could you say some words over it to make them fall in love with you? Right. Like, could it be used for good? Because ultimately, voodoo, it was about healing and whatnot. So were voodoo dolls originally created to try to, like, pinpoint maybe problem areas on people's bodies or illnesses and ailments and make them better? But I don't know. When you make dolls or certain artifacts, they can also be vessels for darkness. So... I, I want to say know. yes, but I feel like this has bad intentions, like right. voodoo dolls specifically do. I just well, I, I also of, remember that store we went into in Salem, but they have a bunch of voodoo dolls, but they're all for different things. They're for love, they're for prosperity, they're for right. health. So that makes me think that they can be used for other things. My only thing about love, though, is if you're putting a spell on a doll to make someone fall in love with you, is that really good or is that bad? Because forcing something that shouldn't be well i think you're thinking of it as someone pinpointing like you taking a voodoo doll being like nick must be in love with me but that is what i did it's like um taking a voodoo doll and be like can i find someone who's driven can i find someone who's charismatic Mm. can i find someone who treats me well can i find someone who cares about their family and then you're manifesting like just that person to come into your life it's not specifically about anyone the one thing I will say about Haley's story is that I wonder if the doll is the reason that David and his wife got a divorce. Like, if yeah, I don't the know doll the wasn't there, if the doll was never in their lives, would they, I mean, every couple fights, right? Like, every, every couple has their issues, but it sounds like the doll incites a lot more issues and arguments in whatever household it's in the friend who got back with his wife and then when the doll came into their lives they he beat his wife and then went to jail and then the his wife took the doll when she moved out so it's like it seems like there's a connection between the doll and troubles or violence oh my gosh yeah that's true oh i don't know well that poor woman who destroyed the poor woman 
is now she was cursed forever with bad luck yeah i, I wonder oh, how you so can horrible. undo that i guess you'd have to maybe go to new orleans or to haiti and see a uh, voodoo witch or voodoo sorcerer voodoo is so fascinating it is because there's with i mean with anything really it goes that there can be so much good and also so much bad and so right it's interesting because we don't always really hear about the good and also yeah people use it as a horror trope and it's kind of like depicted zombies. in a negative way yeah exactly not the zombies were ever good it was not good to enslave people but <laughs> yes not good at all um well well guys thanks for joining us again if you have ghost stories or stories about voodoo or any of this send us an email at two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com and then we have a patreon and if you feel like donating to our podcast to help us grow uh we are trying our goal right now is we want to just keep producing more content and make more merch for you guys and maybe eventually do live shows and go see some spooky places and go visit marie laveau so if you want to mm -hmm. help us make all our go goals possible you can help us by donating on patreon we also have social media so we have instagram we have uh i almost said snapchat we don't have snapchat <laughs> we have instagram we have twitter we have a facebook page that you can like sort of like a business page and then we have a facebook group that you can join it's private um that's where a lot of people post stories memes funny things upcoming yes movie trailers that are scary just anything related to the paranormal and uh, because of you sabrina and Leia, we get a lot of cat action <laughs> as well um yes and squirrels for some so reason many, so many people have posted them adopting black cats and asking for name suggestions and i love those posts it makes They're me so happy so cute. and so many good name suggestions i'm like mm -hmm. i know I'm going to use some of these in the future. Um, but yeah, so if you join our Facebook group, it is private. So anything that you post or like or comment on will not show up in your newsfeed for those of your Facebook friends who are not also in the group. Yes. Uh, and then we have iTunes. So rate and review us, please. That'd be helpful. And word of mouth. We always talk about it. We want to... Uh, grow the podcast, create a larger community, get more ghost stories, hopefully get to the point yeah. where we get to do live shows and actually go around and meet everyone. That would be yes, that'd be so much fun. So, yeah, so fun. About we us really want to meet everyone. Social media. You can like tweet about us, uh, Instagram about us, then tell all your friends and then, you know, do your thing. Do your pyramid thing. Scheme. <laughs> Our pyramid scheme. Oh, and also, if you go to our website, if you don't feel like listening to our podcast and you want to just repeat our intro music on our listen uh, page, we have at the very bottom, we have our intro music and then also um, the song that Bo James had written us yes. about our song uh, for getting our ghost. to know our ghost. Yes. All right, guys, we will see you, see you on, on the, the other, other side. side.